If you are here for the first time, this is the Read and Rant. And you're wondering, well, what is it? What, what are we actually doing here? What we're doing here is, is we're spending time in the reading of the Word. Every morning, we spend about 20 minutes reading through Scripture, 20, 30 minutes reading through Scripture, and then we spend another 20, 30 minutes reflecting on the Scripture, ruminating over the Scripture, uh, meditating on the Scripture. And in that time, we're seeking to uh, just hear from God. That's why we're here. We're here to hear from God, to hear what God has to say. So this isn't a Bible study. This is a Bible reading. And we're here to read through large portions of text. And so I want to encourage you right now to go ahead and turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 19. And in our time of reading, we're going to ask three questions. If you want to be in a posture of reflection, as you're in a posture of reflection, a posture of discovery, the three questions that you're going to ask as we spend time in reading is, God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? God, what are you revealing concerning yourself? The second question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning people? What are you revealing concerning people? And then the third question that we're going to ask is, God, what are you revealing concerning me? We want to hear from God today. And so that's what we're going to pray into. Father, I ask right now, Lord, as we engage in your word today, Lord, I just pray that you would visit us. Lord, we just, we're coming before you as your children. As your children, Lord, just seeking your wisdom, Lord, not our wisdom. Let us not insert ourselves or impose ourselves, but Father, dissect us, Lord, exhort us at the same time. Lord, correct us, convict us, and encourage us at the same time. Bless us today, Lord, as we engage in your word. And we ask that in your name we pray, amen. And amen. Psalm 19, read along with me as I read it. It says this, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of the earth and its circuit to the other end. There's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Hmm, yeah, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in speaking them, there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We'll come back to that. Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill your purpose. We will rejoice in your salvation. And in the name of the Lord, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed together and fallen, and we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the King answer us when we call. Psalm 21. 
The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, and you have not withheld the request of his lips, for you meet him with the blessings of goodness. You set a crown of pure gold upon his head. You asked li- he asked life from you, and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed before him, for you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad in your presence, for the king trusts in the Lord. And through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men, for they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their back. You will make ready your arrows and your string toward their faces. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing praise. We will sing, sorry, we will sing and praise your power. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent, but you are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried out to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb and made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. (coughs) Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And my clothing, they cast lots. Hmm. But you, O Lord, be Do not be far from me. Oh, my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. And from the horns of the wild oxen, you have answered me. I will deliver, sorry, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried out to him, he heard. Hmm. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's. 
and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done this, that he has done this. I'm going to stop right here. Um, and I'm going to just spend a few minutes in reflection. Um, you know, the one thing that's unique about what we do here every morning, and I call it, I say that it's unique and it's unfortunate at times, but what we do here is, is we spend time just reading the scripture. Reading the word itself is a powerful, powerful, powerful activity. I can't emphasize that enough, how profoundly important it is in the life of the believer to just read the word. Eat the word, as the scripture says. Eat the word, because the word is food. Can I repeat that one more time? I cannot, I cannot emphasize enough how important it is for the believer to read the word, to just read it. Even if you don't get it, to just read it. Even if it sounds confusing to you, to just read it. Even if it goes beyond your comprehension, to just read it. Even if you don't have the theological foundation or the theological background or the education, to just read it. Because the scriptures didn't just tell us to read the word. The scriptures told us to eat the word. Jeremiah says that your words came and I ate them and that they were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. We don't know how incredibly powerful it is for us to just read. So even if you don't get it, read it. Because when you read it, you're being fed. Your soul is being fed. Your heart is being fed. And all of a sudden, when you read your Bible and pray every day, something weird happens. You begin to grow, grow, grow. It's funny how we make that the song, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. But it's such a simple formula to grow. And yet many of us just don't do it. It's, it's that simple. Well, no, I'm waiting for a theologian to explain to me. Oh, I'm waiting for a pastor to explain it to me. And yes, there's a place for the study of Scripture. And there's a place to get down to the minutiae. There's a place to get down into the exegesis. There's a place to get down into the exposition. There's a place to find the homartiological um, implications and the Christological implications and the missiological implications of the text. And we can break it down and we can study it and, and look at it in more detail and all that stuff. And yeah, that's all good and all, but there are those who know those things and still don't know Jesus. This is why I cannot emphasize this enough. It's not about gaining more knowledge. The life of the believer is not about gaining more knowledge. The life of the believer is not gaining more information. The life of the believer is not just increasing in your understanding. Why? Because the Bible tells us that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge puffs up. So it's no surprise that there are those who know a lot of Bible but they don't really feel Christian. You just go, ah, there's something that's just not fully Christian about you. You got a lot of Bible in you, but you're not Christian because you got a lot of knowledge, but you haven't eaten the word. You got to eat the word. Don't just read the word and understand the word, but the word has to take root in your soul. And for many of us, we're gaining knowledge, but we're not gaining Jesus. We're gaining information, but we're not gaining Jesus. That's exactly right. Salvation isn't knowing about Jesus. Salvation is actually knowing Jesus. And for many of us, we sometimes get discouraged in our study of Scripture because we go, I don't get it. We just kind of just stop. I don't get it, so I'm just going to stop. What if I told you if you just keep reading it, God will begin to reveal himself to you? 
If you just keep reading his word, he's going to keep revealing himself. He's going to reveal himself little by little by little by little, and you'll get to know him more and more and more and more. And this is why our time together in the reading of the word is so profoundly powerful. As a matter of fact, the reading is more important than the ranting. Yes, the ranting is great. I can give you some insight. I sometimes break down a little bit and, and, and help you understand a little bit about what the text is saying. But just the reading itself is a profoundly transformative endeavor. I want to say something real quick. This is for, um, I want you to look real quick here. This is for the believer, the Christian, who says the Bible is too complicated. The Bible is too deep. I need somebody to teach it to me. I need somebody to explain it to me. I need somebody to to, to make it make sense because it doesn't, doesn't make sense. And yet the truth of the Bible and the revelation of what the Bible is speaking only comes through the Holy Spirit, not simply through the knowledge of a teacher. Yes, a teacher will be good to help refine what has already been revealed, but you need the revelation first before you get it refined. And before you're shaped and discipled. And for many of us, we're looking for the information, thinking that information is revelation. No, revelation is caught. Information is taught. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, y'all. I I, I don't have anything prepared. Y'all know how this works when we do the read and rant. I I just go as the Spirit takes me. But I have to emphasize this before I even get to my point. So for the Christian who says the Bible is too deep and too complicated and I'm just discouraged every time I read it. Trust the Holy Spirit when you read it. That's right. Trust the Holy Spirit when you read it. As a matter of fact, this is what the law of the Lord does. And this is what the testimony of the Lord does. Psalm 19 tells us in verse 7 that the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul and that the testimony of the Lord is pure making simple the wise. Sorry, making the wise simple. So therefore, making the wise simple means that it can be made to be understood by even those who are simple and that those who are wise become simple. You know what the testimony of the Lord does? It equalizes people. Y'all caught that? It equalizes you. And for many of us, we want the wise person to insert their wisdom on the text. When the text itself is wise. And what it does is it takes those who are wise and it makes them simple. That's why we do the read and rant. That's our motivation for the read and rant. This is why we do it, y'all. This is why we continue to do it. This is why I read every day with you, because we're the ones who complicate Scripture. We're the ones, yes, there's a, oh yeah, there's, there's the great intellectual exercise of Scripture, but we're the ones who complicate it. We're the ones who make it hard. We're the ones who, you know, we start making it something it's not. Because again, we have a tendency to try to construct God and to fit God within um, the circumference of our intellect. You know what makes the Bible complicated? Is when you try to confine God in the circumference of your intellect. Yes. (laughs) Ah, Now I understand when the Lord says that it's the children who really see the kingdom of God. Because the children revel in their ignorance and revel in their simplicity and they revel in their imagination. It's they that get to truly see the fullness of the kingdom of God because they've learned to live lives in submission and in imagination to truly discover the fullness of who God is. You want to know God, you got to become more like a child. Stop trying to fit God in your box because the more you try to fit him in your intellectual box, the more complicated God gets. The more complicated he gets. And that's what happens to a lot of us. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm ranting. I'm ranting. But I love how this 
psalm, Psalm 19, really speaks about the true revelation of who God is. Like we see um, characteristics and things that are birthed out of the character of God. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean. We see all the attributes of God because, again, we can see those things manifest when we have the revelation of God. Oh, now I see that the fear of the Lord is clean. By the way, the word fear there is not fear as in being scared of God. The word fear is about reverence there, side note, because sometimes when we see the fear of the Lord and everybody goes, so I'm supposed to be scared of God? No, it's not about being scared of God. It's not being afraid of God. There's a difference between the fear of the Lord and being afraid of the Lord, <laughs> right? Okay, there's a fear of the Lord and being afraid of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is literally the reverence of the Lord. So what the fear of the Lord is, is worship. That's what it is, okay? And what he's saying is, is that the fear of the Lord is clean. That's how our worship ought to be. It ought to be clean. It, it is enduring forever, it is enduring forever. It doesn't stop because worship is what God created all things for. And all things, all these things exist to glorify Him. Not ourselves, but to glorify Him. And so if it is the fear of the Lord, coincidentally, the judgment of the Lord is true and righteous altogether. Side note, and you guys know we've been talking about this, that when we talk about the 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 um the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is the justice of God. So where there's righteousness, there's justice. You cannot separate it. You can't have righteousness without justice. And you can't have justice without righteousness. <laughs> I'm going to do another little mini rant on this because I want to talk to the people. I want to talk to the folks who say, you know what? Preach the gospel. Don't preach social justice. I understand what they're saying, but it's dangerous. I'm going to tell you why it's dangerous. Because there are those who want to ignore justice to simply say, let's preach the gospel. It's a cop-out. The word righteousness is the word justice in the Bible. And so justice is righteousness. Righteousness is justice. Better definition is to say that righteousness is God's justice. So the problem I see in the church and the problem that I see outside the church is that there are those who are trying to define righteousness without justice. And then there are those who are trying to define justice without the righteousness of God. The world wants a justice that glorifies them. But the church wants a righteousness that doesn't seek the justice of the earth. That's a problem. They both coincide with each other. You cannot have righteousness and observe injustice at the same time. Righteousness speaks into injustice to expose the justice of God. That's, I think, the problem. And this is what the world sees when it sees the church, is the church isn't actually involved in the justice of God when what we've been reading throughout Scripture is about justice. It's about justice. And it's about the, the, the this, this judgment of the Lord is righteous. This judgment of the Lord is justice. So if you want to say, well, you know, we're just here to just preach the gospel, out of the gospel will come justice. So where there's economic injustice, the gospel should bring economic justice. Where we see racial injustice, what the gospel should do is bring racial justice where we see um, injustice between people groups or between genders, we would see as a result of the gospel justice. So if you really believe in the gospel and you turn your eye on injustice, my question is, is did you really experience the gospel? And did you know the gospel? No. Social justice without the gospel is futile. That's exactly right. But the gospel without social justice is futile as well. They both work and they're both active and they're both moving together. They are one and the same with God. So 
If we want to seek righteousness, then we need to seek God's justice. Not just our justice with our heart, like, okay, I want to be right with God, but about God making all things right in the world as well. Does that make sense? Like, uh, anyway, side note. That's just a side note. That's what happens when you rant. You ain't got nothing prepared. You just kind of just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. You guys, you guys, you guys hang with me. So I love that. As a matter of fact, another side note, just to give you context. Remember what we said the first time we read through the book of Psalms, that Psalms is actually the mixtape of the oppressed. <laughs> if you missed that read and rant, go back. And check it out. I know it's on Patreon. It'll show up eventually on the Read and Rant podcast. Catch it on the Read and Rant podcast. What did we say? The book of Psalms is the mixtape of the oppressed. That's right. It's a collection of songs that has been curated by people who were oppressed in a time of captivity. And so the book of Psalms, Psalms was written as a means to help, to encourage, and to exhort a people who were under political, economic oppression to understand the spiritual implications of that and then to shape them and mold them into where God wanted them to go next. Yes, Psalms was actually a mixtape. <laughs> It was a mixtape, and it was a bunch of songs written, and these songs were sung over and over again and over and over again, and they would sing these songs in order to shape them and to encourage them and to give them a hope for what was to come, that there would be a hope for restoration of a people, but God's plan was more than just the children of Israel. God's plan was for the nations. Remember, he told Abraham, I'll make you the father of many nations, not just the father of Israel, but the father of many nations. And out of Israel will come the fathering of all nations, all cultures, all societies, all peoples. I'm ranting. And so these people are reading this. We're reading it. They're singing it. And as they're singing it, they're singing these words as words of encouragement in their time of pain. And so when they read the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, they're being reminded that even though it don't look right right now, it's going to be all right later. Even though they're going through it and, and, and they're dealing with it, they remember the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. They're singing these because they need to be reminded. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord, the judgments are true and righteous altogether. More desired are they than gold. Yeah, much more than fine gold. Y'all see what this is about now? <laughs> I'm just here to teach. You know, I'm here to rant, but I want you to see what I see. I want you to hear what I'm hearing. That this is a song being sung by someone who doesn't see justice and yet knows there's still justice and knows there's still restoration. There is something to come. There is a making of all things right. There is an aspiration for something greater. There's an aspiration for something greater. Believers in Jesus Christ are never hopeless. Never hopeless. Mm -mm. There's always an aspiration. Behold, I make all things new. There's always an aspiration. Yes, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed as aspiration. No, the believer always aspires because we know that Jesus has won. And when we know that Jesus has won, no matter what I'm going through right now, I know God's got an answer for it. And I know it's better. I know there's something better for me. I know there's something better. There's a greater aspiration, even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of economic calamity, even in the midst of racial injustice, even in the midst of all these things. The believer is never hopeless because the believer knows his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's going to get better. 
it's going to get better. And so the believer is never hopeless. No, not, not the believer. No, even when I know things ain't going the way that I want it to go, I'm not hopeless. I'm not hopeless. Even though I'm sick, I'm not hopeless. Even though my money ain't right, I'm not hopeless. Even though I'm dealing with foreclosure, I'm not hopeless. Even though I'm dealing with illness, I'm not hopeless. Even though I'm dealing with COVID or cancer, I'm not hopeless. You cannot be hopeless when you are in Christ because Christ is our hope of glory. We are not hopeless in Christ, which is why I love when he goes to Psalm chapter 20. The reason why, the reason why we can have confidence is because our hope and our trust is in something other than people, friends, the powers, the institutions. The psalmist says in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord. Some trust in chariots. Those are the warriors, the horses. Some trust in the governments and the institutions. Some trust in princes. Some trust in kings. But but we, no, what we do is we remember the name of the Lord. My trust is not in any government. My trust is not in the United States government. My trust is not in the institutions. My trust is not in any person or any individual. My trust is in Jesus, and Jesus is our hope of glory. I ain't hopeless as long as I'm in Christ. Now, if I'm worried about what government I'm a part of or what political party I'm a part of, mm, that's something else. But in Jesus, there's always hope. We will remember the name of the Lord, church. Let me talk to the church real quick. I know there's some people who are still working out where they are. I know there's some people in here who are kind of like, I want to see what this guy's talking about. And I know this is, the, the, the book of Psalms is going to be a little bit different for you guys. I've had those of you who are atheists who are on here, those of you who are agnostics, those of you who have other faiths, and you're like, you know what? This is a little bit different because this guy's giving a different perspective of the word. I got you. But today, and even as we get through the book of Psalms, we're really talking about a relational understanding of God, a deeper understanding of God to know that God does not exist within an institution. He cannot be confined in it. We're not trusting in the Pope. Our trust is not in the Pope. Our trust is not in a deacon or in a pastor. Our trust is not in, um, you know, in, in a bishop or our trust is not in a prophet. Our trust is in God, Christ alone, our hope of glory. And let me say this, and I don't want to offend anyone because this sometimes can come off as offensive. So I'm going to be careful how I say this. I don't want to offend you, so I'm going to be really careful how I say this. But there are those of us who have been manipulated by pastors, by spiritual leaders. We've been manipulated and influenced in a way that was profoundly dismantling to your life. Could it be, just putting it out there, I'm, I'm trying not to offend you here, <laughs> but could it be that you put trust in a person you should have never put trust in? Could it be that you replaced that person with God? Could it be that you made that person Jesus? And could it be that your trust was in them when the scriptures tell us that we don't trust in princes, we don't trust in chariots and popes, we don't trust in horses, we remember the name of the Lord? Could it be that we put trust in people that we ought not to put trust in? Could it be that we never really had a faith with Jesus we had a faith in a person. Could it be that you left the church because your faith was never really in Jesus? Your faith was actually in the person that you made Jesus. 
Yeah, your faith was in that pastor. Your faith was in that preacher. Your faith was in that prophet. Your faith was in that person, whoever it was. And so you made that person your God. And in making that person your God, when you realize that that person was flawed and sinful and broken, you lost your whole sense of who God is and who God was. You walked away from God and walked away from church. But is it possible that you might not have had God in the first place? You may not have known Jesus in the first place. You may have just trusted in a person. And losing that person now led you to leave the church. And if that's you, if that's you here, because I'm going to get to my final point as if I have something planned. But if that's you, could I invite you to reconsider? If you left the church because you were lied to, if you left the church because you were hurt by a leader in the church, manipulated by a leader in the church, can I offer a suggestion to you? First, is it possible that maybe you had faith in the person and not Jesus? And could I invite you to seriously consider Jesus now? Could I invite you to just back away for a moment and say, hmm, maybe I never knew Jesus. Maybe I just knew a person. And could I invite you to reconsider and say, you know what? Let me discover Jesus. Let me discover Jesus, not a man of God, but Jesus. Just, just a suggestion. I'm not here. I'm, I've got no promises for you. I've got no promises for you. I'm just, I'm just going to throw it out there because somebody needs to hear that. I'm just going to throw that out there that maybe you, you, you need to actually discover Jesus now. I'm just, I'm just going to throw that out there, okay? That maybe it's because you didn't know Jesus. And for those of you, <laughs> for those of you that don't understand how people who've been hurt by the church, who've been manipulated by people in the church, who've been ostracized, who've been denigrated, how they can still know Jesus. You want to know why? Because they discovered Jesus, not church people. And because of their encounter with God, there's a part of that that they can never let go. And they know that that was real. Maybe all this other stuff was fake, but the personal encounter that I had with Jesus, that was real. And that's what I hold to. This is for the person who may have left church as we know it, a church culture, but you're still close to Jesus, and you're just looking for a community of people to be around and say, I just want to be around people like that who want to be close to Jesus. They're there. And, the, and, I, and I'm praying for you that you find those people who are around you, near you, that you would grow in, in community with them. I pray for that. I'm, I'm praying for you for that. I'm praying for you for that. But that's just for the person who doesn't get it. I don't get it. I don't get why this person you can't unexperience what you've experienced. You can't unsee what you've seen. You can't undiscover what you've discovered. You just can't. So for the person who's experienced Jesus, you cannot erase that from your soul and from your mind. It's there. It's there. And for some of you, you've left church. And you've been distant from God. But there's that experience that you had with Jesus. And it probably didn't even happen at church. It probably had it happened in your bedroom. It probably happened in the middle of the night. It probably happened at a time when nobody was around. It was just you and Jesus. And you weren't even thinking. And all of a sudden, God hit you. 
And it was that experience. And now you're like, how do I unexperience that? And I came to tell you, you can't. He's got you. So now just draw closer to him. This is an invitation to Jesus. And there's some of us who we our trust was in chariots. And some of us, our trust was in horses. Our trust was in princes. Our trust was in people. But today, my invitation to you is to remember the name of our God. Remember. Remember that moment. Remember that time. Remember that experience. Remember the name of the Lord. Remember him. Remember that moment. Remember what he's done. <sighs> Remember what he has done. What Psalms does <laughs> is Psalms knits together the past, the future, and the present. All happening in one moment and in one place. Stay with me, fam. And in this, in, in this moment, past, present, and future is threaded by the cross. Mm. A moment in time that redeemed all time. A moment in time that redeemed all things. A moment in time that made all things right. Pay very close attention. Pay very close attention to this. It was at the cross that past, present, and future were brought into coincidence. And it's at that moment that the world was set free. And now what threads the past, present, and the future is the work that Jesus did on the cross. Jesus did this. It is poetic, the work that God has done in the life of humanity, in the history of humanity, in the history of human beings. The, what God did on the cross is poetry. It's poetry, y'all. Because we read the book of Psalms. Remember, we read the book of Psalms being written by David, at least these Psalms, written by David in the past to a people in their present who needed encouragement for their future. Watch this. These people who were in captivity, were awaiting the justice of God to make all things right. They were waiting for a king who would bring restoration to their people, to reestablish the nation of Israel, to reestablish a people, to bring them back into position and in their posterity, into prosperity. And these people, pay close attention, y'all, because this is going to be a blessing to you if you can just stick with me for a second. And these people, who are waiting for what they believe would come and have not seen it yet, are reading the book of Psalms from a guy a century ago, singing these songs. This is past and this is present with an aspiration of the future. And the future, when it arrived at the cross, Jesus brings the Psalms to the cross. When we see Jesus say, Eloi, Eloi, Lamaksakbaktani, you read that in, 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 in the Passion of Christ, in the Gospels. What you're reading is Jesus actually reciting Psalm 22 that we just read here. When David wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus triggered the entire narrative of Psalm 22. And upon triggering it, we see how Psalm 22 prophetically declared what would happen to him. 
in verse 24, for he was not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried out to him, he heard. Huh. When we read through the Psalms, it tells us that his hands were pierced and so were his feet. Are y'all catching this? We see, he says, the dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. When Jesus was on the cross, he brought past, present, and future into coincidence, bringing revelation about what the past proclaimed about what would happen in the future and in the present to give a hope for what would happen in the future and all of it happening right there in that moment on the cross. Jesus was accomplishing his justice. And in the end, in verse 28, it says, for the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. This was the work that Christ was doing. So Christ brought the Psalms to the cross. Christ brought the book of Psalms to the cross. And in that moment, we're being reminded that God's plan is perfect. His judgment is perfect. His justice is perfect. Our salvation is not in us, but our salvation is the Lord's. And for many of us, we have made people our salvation, governments our salvation, institutions our salvation. We've made all these things and all these people our salvation. But Psalms 20 verse 7 tells us, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Lord, I thank you Lord, for reminding us <laughs> Lord, you bleed all through the text. You breathe all through the text. Lord, your spirit is washing all through the text. Lord, revealing to us your heart and your desire and your will and your justice. Father, I ask right now, Lord, that you would bring healing to every soul that has been hurt. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you would reorient our trust to rediscover and revisit you to re-encounter you, to know, Lord God, that you came for us. Let us be fed by this reality. Let us be encouraged by this reality. Let us be built up by this reality. Let us know that we have been chosen by you before the foundations of the world. Lord, I pray that you would heal those who've been hurt. I pray that those who've been hurt, Lord, that they would discover family again. Lord, that they would discover people who have entrusted their lives in you, submitted their lives to completely to you, that they would grow in community. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to give revelation, not information, but to give revelation. And I say that in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, God bless you guys. I know it's Friday. I'll see you guys on Monday. Um, <laughs> I see that you say, I never saw Psalm 22 that way. Yes. Psalm 22 is what Jesus uttered on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Hebrews would know that. <laughs> so sometimes you say, oh, well, Jesus crying out to his father. We see, we see that level of it. The Hebrews saw, oh, he's crying out to who he thinks is his father. That's what those oppressors thought. He's crying out to who he thinks is his father but he's reciting a psalm that we've all been singing for generations, Psalm 22. And many in that moment, I believe, were probably slain with the reality that they were seeing Psalm 22 in the flesh. They were seeing hands pierced, feet pierced, as the scripture says. They saw the dogs that surrounded him. They saw the congregation of the wicked that enclosed him. They saw, look at verse 18. I'm sorry, I, I can't believe I'm going again. They saw in verse 18, 
they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. There were Hebrews who would see it and go, oh my God. See, these are the things that we never understand and we never get. But there are Hebrews who would see it and go, this is, this is Psalm 22 in the flesh. Whoa. <laughs> they would see it. For he was not despised or abhorred, or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from them, from him. And when he cried to him, he heard, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? When he cried to him and he heard, this is the, the poetic justice of the cross. You can tell I, I get excited about stuff like this. This stuff gets me, stuff gets me going. <laughs> I'll see you guys. Uh, guys, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your encouragement. If you want to support in any way, click the link in the bio, click the link in the profile. Um, I truly am encouraged by your support. Um, I'm excited about Bible study. Uh, if you want to become a patron as well, um, by becoming a patron, you get to join our family and our community. Uh, we get to be in more intimate contact and, and connection. And it's always great because I get to, you know, they're, they're my first, <laughs> my first layer because there's so many of you now. I, you know, I want to just say this real quick. Y'all, I, I did not ever ever presuppose in any way that I would be at this point um, to find a ministry through TikTok. If you asked me two years ago, I would have said, uh, maybe. But to see that I'm, 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 I'm nearing 600,000 followers on TikTok, guys, I don't know what I'm doing other than I'm just coming here and sharing the word of God. And I'm so encouraged. I'm encouraged by all of you, Asia, so encouraged by you. Um, those of you who send words of encouragement, those of you who send support, those of you who are praying for, for me, it's, it, is, it is so encouraging, y'all. I can't emphasize that enough. I was, uh, yesterday, I was just overwhelmed at last night, just thinking about how the Lord has brought me here. And he's blessed me with this, with, with a people who I can minister to and shepherd and to just reveal the truth of, of God in a very raw and authentic way and to empower them. Like, I feel so complete in that. I feel so complete in that. I, you know, I've heard that said multiple times. I discovered you by accident. <laughs> I got on TikTok by accident. Okay, let you guys know. I got on TikTok. I had no intention of using TikTok. Okay, and then after I got on TikTok, I said, "You know what? I need to get on IG." And to see now that Instagram is getting near forty thousand followers just in half a year, that's incredible, guys. I would have never, ever, not in not in my imagination, thought, "Hey, you know what? Let me be a social media influencer." Yeah, that's what they're calling me, a social media influencer. That that is not, that was not me. And so, exactly, there is no accident. We say that all the time. It was not an accident. The Lord was just guiding and leading. And so, Vanessa and I, we love you guys very much. We thank you so much. Our patrons, I know there's a bunch of you guys on here. Some of you can't come on because you guys are like in the West Coast. And you're like, now that I'm on Patreon, I know a lot of my patrons are on the West Coast. Because you guys are like, now that I'm on Patreon, I can just listen to the audio of this read and read at any time, whatever I'd like. <laughs> and so... Uh, I'm, I'm just so encouraged by that. Uh, encouraged by all of you. You guys are going to hear this probably. I'll, I'll post all of this on, on the, on the podcast. Um, um, am I leading a church? I am leading a church online. I do lead a church online. Uh, the font TV. So you can check out the font TV. Uh, we're actually about to make our next big step into establishing our community and our ministry. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. Really excited about what that's going to look like. Um, as we continue to equip and empower uh, the believers to go and to move in the power of God. You know, my, my whole thing is I don't need people to become members of my church. 
Okay. That's not, that's not my desire at all. I, you know, you go, well, I want to be a member of your church. Um, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, okay, another side rant. If you're a believer of Jesus Christ, you are already a member of the church. Um, I've said this before. By the way, on Patreon, our next study will be on the church. We need to do a Bible study on the church. What is the church? Because apparently a lot of church folks don't know what the church is. But that's another side conversation for another day. Um, expect that in January. We're going to run a Bible study about that. Um, to see what the see what the Bible says about what the church is, not what people say about what the church is. Um but uh, but I, you know, when people say I'm a member of this church or I'm a member of that church, yes, we, you can be a part of a local church. But if you, if I say you're a member of my church, that's I find that slightly offensive, if not entirely offensive to God, because because it's redundant to be a member of my church and to be a member of Jesus's church. No, you're not a member of my church. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. Um, and so rather than being members of my church, what I want is partners in the mission of God. We're, we're all members of God's body, and we're called on mission together to bring the love, the message, the justice, and the beauty of Jesus to the world. And so that's my mission. My mission is to empower you, to send you out so that you can be the very presence and the power of God where you go and where you are. Um, churches should not be gathering people into clubs. Churches should be sending people on mission. Some are sent to other nations. Some are sent to their workplace. Some are chefs in here. Some are doctors. I've got a lot of doctors. I got a lot of athletes that come on here. Um, I got a lot of athletes. Now I see that a lot of you are on Patreon. I know you guys are busy, so you don't get to come on regularly. But I got athletes on here. I've got um, influencers on here, musicians on here who say, well, you know, I want to do God's work. Where you go is God's work. If you're a baker, if you're a chef, I see the chef. I see you. <laughs> if you're a chef, <laughs> right, you are doing God's work. Aircraft mechanic, you're doing God's work. My job, and he calls some to be pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers, students to do, sorry, students, sorry, evangelists and teachers, preachers and teachers, sorry, pastors and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So actually the pastors, the apostles, the prophets, we're actually not the ones that do the direct ministry. The graphic designer, yes, you too, the singer, we're not the ones who do ministry. That's a paradigm shift. This is Bible, y'all. Okay, go back to Ephesians chapter four. The ones that we give these titles of pastor, they're not the ones that do the ministry. Their ministry is a ministry of teaching. Okay? Their ministry is a ministry of teaching, instructing, and empowering. But the real work of ministry happens outside whatever room you guys go to to worship God. <laughs> or to pray or to, to sing. That's not where the ministry is happening. You know what real ministry is going to look like? It's when the chef goes back into that kitchen and they've built a huge organization or team and, and they've got their sous chefs. And I don't know the chef stuff that well, so stick with me for a second. I'm giving you an example. And that person goes and, and, and they're in the kitchen and all of a sudden... They begin to move in the power of God. They begin to prophetically speak into the life of those who they are shepherding now. Because the chef is now a shepherd. And as you're shepherding, they're asking you about Jesus and you begin to share Jesus. Do you see where I'm at, Nina? And not only are you sharing Jesus now, all of a sudden you begin to pray for them and they find healing and deliverance and breakthrough. And all of a sudden, Nina you're actually doing ministry. Or the dentist who's a minister of healing, that's what a dentist is, is a minister of healing, administrating uh, the body in, the, in, in that way. Imagine now as a dentist, your patients now are your parishioners. Ooh, that gets so exciting. The patients that you see once or twice a year, the ones that you try to get to show up once or twice a year. I haven't been in a dentist in like four years. I need to go very soon, like like really badly. Um, 
once or twice a year. And then they hear you and they see your demeanor and see the presence and the power of God over you. And all of a sudden, people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ through just your doing your work. We need to stop making what we do inside the building ministry. We need to stop doing what we do inside the church ministry. No, we are the humble ministers that are simply the coaches. Y'all actually do the real work. The work of ministry is what the everyday believer does. I'm sorry. I'm ranting about you. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. We'll talk. I'm, I'm ranting again. I got to go, actually. Um, so, you know, guys, listen, I, that's my heart. That's my desire. And we want to send and empower you to go and do the work of ministry. That's it. I'm trying to release you. I'm not trying to keep you. <laughs> I'm trying to release you to, to, to be more, to do more, because God has more in store for you. 